Thanks for joining us today. We love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life, so we encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that online at fellowshipgj.com and pick the giving option that works best for you and help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thanks for joining us and enjoy today's message. I want to go ahead and dive right into a scripture found in John chapter 11 today. We're going to look a little bit about Jesus and his teachings, what he does uh, when it comes to his love for us. We see here John chapter 11 verse 1, it says this, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, sickness will not, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Today I want to talk to you from the subject, the one he loves, the one he loves. In fact, would you turn to the person sitting next to you, look at them and tell them, you are the one he loves. Now I want to ask you to turn to your second choice, the one you didn't choose a moment ago for whatever reason. It's not for me to get into, but now turn to them and tell them, you too, you are the one that he loves. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you in your precious Son, Jesus' name, and we pray today that uh, we would learn more about your love for us, that we would leave here with a new confidence, a new boldness, a new understanding of who we are because of the way you love us and the way you see us. So help us to see Jesus as we look into your word today, we ask, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You know... Whenever something brings pressure and brings tension to an amplified stage, that is in fact when the truth about what you and I think really comes to the surface. It's when tensions rise when really the truth leaks out. Let me give you an example of what I mean by this. Amelie and I have been married for 18 years, so I have to go back 18 years to think about an example of when I have done something really stupid. And in fact... Uh, It was the first year of marriage, and I take an example out of that because any of you that have been married for a while know that really the highest concentration of all the stupid things a man will do in his life are during the first year of marriage. Can any women agree with that this morning? (laughs) Maybe some of you are not agreeing because you're like, no, he keeps doing stupid things. We've been married a long time. I don't know. But if we go all the way back to our first year of marriage, I can remember the day when I came home to my beautiful new bride. Sitting, she was sitting in our apartment, and I had just finished a day of work. She had just finished a day of work. And when I opened the door to come into the house, I recognized that my bride was sitting down on the ground, and she had in front of her a hamper full of clothing, and she was folding clothes. And it took me just a moment before I looked in and recognized that these weren't her clothes she was folding. She was, in fact, folding my clothes. Now, I'm thinking, this is amazing. I'm going to work. I'm coming home. Got my new bride. She's beautiful. I come home, and she's doing my laundry. This is amazing. This is the way marriage is going to be. This is awesome, right? I am, I am pumped at the moment. 
And I remember I sat down with her and she began wanting to talk to me about her day. And as she's telling me all these different stories and stuff like that, I looked down and I start recognizing that, that the way she folds her socks is different than the way I have folded my socks. Let me break this down for you a little bit, man. If you are newlyweds, hear me on this for a second, man. What I recognized is that my wife, who I live with and share the same apartment with and share the same bed with, was folding my socks differently than the way I folded socks when I lived alone by myself, alone and cold in my own bed by myself. I recognize this and I started seeing, you know what, like she's talking to me and all of a sudden I start recognizing I'm not hearing what she's saying because like I'm starting to think I, when I look in my drawer I'm not going to find my socks in the way that I normally find my pairs of socks and they're going to be all messed up and it's going to be in the dark in the morning and I have two different colors of socks and I'm looking at that and she's trying to tell me about her day and she's going, are you hearing me? I'm like, mm-hmm, I'm looking down at the socks and I shouldn't have never said it. it. It makes no sense that I said it. I look back and think it was so stupid but finally I did it. I couldn't help it anymore. I couldn't hear her. I said, babe. You're folding my socks wrong. Innocent enough, you would think, right? I didn't know that by saying that I was going to have every sock in the basket thrown at me. Like, why would you fold socks just so that you could throw them at another person? It made no sense to me at all. But I told her this, and she goes, Excuse me, I am folding your socks wrong. Now, I am, I'm talking to you about my day. I'm sitting here doing your, I am folding. Your socks, are, it, tell you what. And as she threw the basket of clothes onto my face, I mean, I've, I've forgiven her since then. <laughs> Clearly it was an irrational behavior to throw the basket at me. But, but as she threw the basket of laundry at my face, she said, fine, I'll tell you what. I will never fold your socks again. How would you like that? Yeah. Here to tell you today, it's been 18 years. She has never once touched my laundry again. Sure, sure you women would be proud of that, I'm sure, yeah. It was dumb. Let me just tell you, if you are a newlywed man and your wife does anything like that, if she cooks for you, if she, if she folds your socks, shut up. Just shut up. Whatever your clever thing you think you have to say, it's not that clever. Just shut up. I'm just try- I'm trying to get you to learn from my mistakes here. And, and, and we fast forward that 18 years now, and I'm getting ready for this message, and I'm thinking about Jesus' love and thinking about saying stupid things. And, and, and just, you know, I couldn't even figure it out. I was thinking, you know, I don't know if I've ever said anything dumb. You know? So I, I, I walked into so the room. It's only you got to help me here. Like, I, I'm just struggling here. I'm, I'm working on this message. I can't think, have I, like, I can't, for the life of me, I can't think of anything dumb I have ever done in my life. <laughs> 18 years later, okay, she says, and I quote, without missing a beat, she says, oh, like the time you walked into the house and I was doing your laundry for you sitting on the floor at the very first part of our marriage, and you told me I was folding your socks wrong like that, something stupid like that. I was like, Woman! Forgive already. It's been 18 years. Good Lord. You need therapy or something, right? Forgive already. It's in the heat of the moment. What you're really thinking about leaks out. And I didn't recognize that my wife was really thinking about how offensive and how stupid that was when I said something as stupid as that. It was funny how it leaked out when... 
when my wife was just trying to talk to me, how I was focused on something. Now, see, anytime there's tension, anytime that, that emotions are amplified, what we're really thinking about leaks out. It's interesting because you hear people all the time say, you know, it's, it's in the heat of an argument. You don't say what you mean. And actually, I don't think that's true. I think it's the heat of the argument. It's the, when things are amplified, when we really do say what we really do mean. And really, I say all that because here we have Mary and Martha. They're at a place where their emotions are amplified. They're scared. They're concerned. They're frustrated. They're hurt at the time. They're really concerned about their loved one, their brother, Lazarus. And it's in this moment. This is not a silly argument about socks. This is not something silly. Their loved one is going to die. And it's in the heat of the moment here when they're, when they're really, truly scared, when they're really, truly being pressured by what's going on around them, that what they truly believe leaks out. Because when this takes place, when they recognize that Lazarus is sick and he might die, uh, they immediately devise a plan. And they come up with a good plan. They think, you know what, we know Jesus. We believe Jesus is the Son of God. we got to get him right into the middle of this situation. That is a very good strategy. They're thinking that Lazarus' only hope is that Jesus would come and be right in the middle of the situation. So let's get Jesus into the middle of this. Now, this is not in a time period where they could just send a text and, and notify Jesus. So they gather up their friends and say, can we find a runner? And they find someone who's willing to run the six miles to where Jesus is. They said, would you deliver this note to Jesus, this note that we're going to write him to let him know that our brother is, is dying, he's sick, and we need Jesus' help. So, so they have this plan. We're going to write a note to get Jesus' attention. We're going to send it there. I wonder, if you had just one note to write to God, to plea on behalf of someone that you love so much, someone you care so much about, for your loved one, for your brother, your sister, your child. If you had just one note to get Jesus' attention, what is it that you would write in that note? Because I think for, for myself, I think it'd be what a lot of us would do. I'd start off with my credentials. Like, Jesus, you know who I am, right? I mean, like, you, you got to know the good stuff I've done, like, why you should listen to me right now. And I say this embarrassingly because I believe I've done this at different times when it's come to business things. When I've talked to people who uh, I feel like are important people, I'll, like, put my credentials in the first part of an email when I send to them because I want to give them reason to think that they need to listen to what I have to say. And, and so I think if I was writing a note to Jesus, what it would sound like is that this is my loved one. Man, this don't, don't forget about Lazarus. I mean, he, he loves you so much. You know, this is Lazarus, the one that serves you. The, the one He's at church every week. He always puts you first. He gives his tithes and his offerings. He serves at 4640 in the middle of the week. This is Lazarus, right? I, I, don't forget about Lazarus. I would put all my credentials up front. But what's so interesting is the way that Mary and Martha, who have a very close friendship and walk with Jesus, the way that they try to get Jesus' attention is so different than the way I think so many of us would. Because if we look back and look at the note that, that they wrote to Jesus, it says this, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, now see that's a great way to start a note if you're talking to the Lord. <laughs> like, Lord, pay attention, I'm talking to you right now, this, like, I, I recognize you are God. Now, 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 hear what I have to say, and this is where I think, this is Lazarus, I mean, he got straight A's in school, he loves you, he, he always walks old ladies across the street, he's one of the good guys, right? Like, that's what you'd think, but, 
But actually what the note says is so incredibly different. What they really believed about Jesus when pressure was put on them the most starts to leak out. It says, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Lord, the one you love is sick. Isn't that interesting? That they appealed not to Lazarus' love for Jesus, but Mary and Martha appealed to Jesus' love for Lazarus. So we see that in the heat of the moment, when there's pressure on, when they're scared, when they need to see a breakthrough, when they want to see change in their life, and they appeal to the Lord, that, that we see what they believed the most about God is not that, that what was going to move God is Lazarus' love for God, but what would move God is God's love for Lazarus. Isn't that interesting? Kind of strange. Because see, if you slow down for a minute and we look at other people in the New Testament, we see this trend all throughout the New Testament. We see the trend that the people who walked the closest to Jesus and had the closest relationship with Jesus, that they were so preoccupied, not with their love for Jesus, but they became more and more preoccupied with Jesus' love for them. Because Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they were some of the closest friends Jesus had walking the earth. In fact, we see two weeks before the crucifixion, the, uh, crucifixion, the second week before he was crucified, he spent the entire day, almost, uh, the entire week, almost exclusively with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So these are friends, these are close people, and what they chose to appeal to was not, not, not Jesus, look how much Lazarus loves you. They said, Jesus, this, this is someone that you love. This is someone you love. Now, for instance, we see this trend all throughout the New Testament because John was also someone who walked very close with Jesus. John was one of the closest disciples to Jesus, and John did something a little bit weird. It'd be something a little bit socially awkward or unacceptable now. John was someone who would speak about himself in third person, and he, would also, he was also the guy that gave himself a nickname. You, anyone here know someone who's given themselves a nickname, right? If you're sitting next to the person, just keep looking forward right now. Because this is socially not acceptable, not okay. We've all met the guy that's given himself the nickname. You meet someone at the gym and like, yeah, they call me guns. And his girlfriend looks at him like, who calls you guns? No one calls you guns. What are you talking about? Hey, you don't give yourself a nickname. It was so funny. The other day, Rachel was talking uh, to Siri on her phone, and Siri responded to her, thanks, your highness. Wait, 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 wait. Let me catch that again. Did you tell Siri to refer to you as your highness? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, don't be that person, okay? You Seriously, don't give yourself a nickname, and especially if you give yourself a nickname, don't make it something as crazy as that. Well, John was one of these people. He, he, he was so preoccupied with God's love that we see in scriptures, he's talking about himself in the third person, and he gives himself a nickname. Not something he uses once or twice, but we know he uses it at least five different times in scripture. He gives himself this nickname. In John 13, 23, it says, one of them, he's talking about himself, the third person thing, one of them... The disciple whom Jesus loved. Now you might read that and you've probably read it several different times. You think, oh, that's cute. That's so cute. John recognized that, that, that Jesus loved him. He is speaking about himself, a nickname, third person. This is weird, people. 
Think about this. What if you and I were to have a conversation after this service is over in the lobby and you were to come introduce some of your friends or your family to me and I introduced myself this way. I was like, yeah, I'm Dan. Nice to meet you. Yeah, I'm the pastor yep, that Jesus loves. What happened? You grab your kids and like, kids, come on, we are going. I told you this place is weird. I mean, what is up with these pastors these days? Prima donnas, they think they're all something. I'm the, I'm the one he loves. But John, he didn't just say this once or twice. Over five times in Scripture, he gives himself the nickname. He titles himself the disciple whom Jesus loves. And what's so amazing about this is that this is actually recorded in Scripture. All of Scripture was, was inspired and breathed by the Holy Spirit. So that means while John was writing with his pen, while he was sitting down and writing this, these letters and writing these words, we see that the Holy Spirit was there with him, telling him what to what write, what not to write. And when he got to the part where we were at, I'm John, the disciple that Jesus loved, the Holy Spirit's like, yeah. I agree with that. That's good. I do love you. I'm John. I'm his favorite. That's right. That's right. I, you are my favorite. I love you, John. You, you are my favorite. You are the disciple I love. Man, isn't that crazy? Isn't that powerful? But we don't seem to live as though we believe that's true. We don't seem to live our lives and act like we believe that it's true. That Wait a minute. What are you saying? Are you saying that that I am the one that Jesus loves? Are, are you saying that, that you are the one that, that is his favorite, that he cares about so deeply, that, that his love for you is so passionate? He'd say, yeah, I agree with that. You are the one I love. You are the one I care so deeply about. But that's what this book is about from cover to cover. That's what God wants every one of his followers to know, is that from the beginning to the this book to the end of this book, the theme of it is not our love for God. The theme of this book is God's love for us. That's what philosophers and theologians and scholars call first order. That the first order of scripture is not how much we can love God. The first order of scripture is for us to all understand that God so desperately loves us first. That's what God wants us to understand. We know the verse John 3.16. John 3.16 is a verse that makes this so clear. And I think a lot of us, since we heard it as kids, like we, we kind of just brush it off. We think, well, yeah, that's just the verse that Tim Tebow paints on his face, you know, and we don't give it any more credit than that. But this is a great verse talking to us about the love of God. And this is what John 3.16 says. I know you've heard it before, but we're going to slow down and look at it again today. It, the Bible says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. See, sometimes I read it like it says something different. Because it does not say, for the world so loved God that God sent his one and only son. But the truth is, I think a lot of us in this room, we live as though that's exactly what it says. We think, you know, if I can just love God enough, then he'll bless me. If I can just be good enough, then, 
then he'll care for me. If I, if I can just serve him enough and show him I'm good enough, then, then he will favor me. If I can just love him enough, then maybe he will love me. But that's not what John 3.16 says. John 3.16 is scandalous. It's ridiculous. It's illogical. It's unconditional. What John 3.16 says is, For God so loved the world. Hold on a second. We grew up on this verse as kids. Have you ever noticed before that the word world means sinful people in a sinful system? That what this verse is actually saying is God so loves sinful people and a sinful system. But it doesn't just say God loves sinful people. It says God so loves. He so loves. Have you ever met someone with a case of the so loves? He just so loves. What are we even talking about? So love is, a, is it's obsession. It's irrational. It's like I've lost my good judgment. My daughters are in ballet. And I will go to their ballet performances. And if you've ever been to a ballet performance before, you know that people in the audience of a ballet are incredibly boring. <laughs> it's like going to a golf tournament. Like these dancers are out there, they're sweating it out there. They're giving everything they got. Wonderful performance. And someone next to me is like, that was, that was wonderful. Great job out there. I'm acting like I'm at a hockey game. I jump out of my seat. I'm like, whoa, girl, you got it that time. That was beautiful. Your tutu was flying all over the place, girl. You're the best one out there. I see you. That was awesome. Awesome. What is that? that that's so love. So love. So love that I lose my mind because I love him so much. I lose my good judgment. I lose any sort of rational thought because I love them so much. I'm, I'm obsessed because I love them so much. This verse is saying God so loves. He is so obsessed. He cares so much about the sinful people that you and I, are, that we are a part of. He loves us so much that he loses his mind over us. He loses all rational thought. He loses all good judgment. He, he loses everybody. Where we just want to stop and be like, God, you, it's like sometimes I think I need to just give Jesus a little counsel, right? God, you can't act that way. You, you, people are going to think you're crazy. You're just loving people who, like, you know they're never going to love you back. You know that God actually loves not just good people as if there were such a thing. God doesn't love just good people. God, God loves people who, in fact, will never love him back. God died for and, and conquered death, hell, and the grave for people who will never say his name and acknowledge him and receive him and acknowledge anything good that he's ever done for him. God does it, and it makes me think, well, whoa, that, that's so love. God is looking a little bit obsessed. You can't do that. Like, you can't just be, you know, throwing your love out there because these people, they, they might not reciprocate this love, Jesus. If you, you're showing love that way, it's going to end in hurt. It's going to end in pain. You can't, you can't just be giving yourself that way and so loving and so obsessing over people because they might never love you back. It's not good. And God's like, well, I, I, I can't, I can't. Because why? Because I so love them. I so love them. See, we have a term that you and I are familiar with. It's the term groupie. And groupie is when uh, people are so in love with a famous person, probably that they've never even met before. And I live with two middle school girls. 
So I can tell you I know exactly what it's like to have a couple groupies in my house. I've seen the behavior of groupies. First off, this is an example of an illustration I did not get permission to tell. <laughs> so we'll see how this goes. But, but I live with a couple groupies, and I've seen them just so love someone before. And in fact, I remember just when the, when the Super Bowl was on, and Justin Timberlake came out for his halftime performance. My two middle school girls, they freaked out. They screamed. They threw their stuff, their, their jackets in the air and everything. They leaned down on the front of the couch and they put their head in their little hands. Oh my gosh, she's so beautiful. Oh, I love him. I love him. I love him. Oh my gosh. And we're talking like, shush, 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 shush. I love him so much. I love him. I'm going to marry him. And as a dad to my daughters, I had to be like, girls, let's set them down. My girls, JT ain't never going to love you back. No, you need to know this. You ain't never going to marry JT, girls. Come on. First off, he's as old as I am, and that is creepy and weird, all right? See, weird. Like, he ain't never going to love you back. Why would I do that? Well, as a father, I would tell him that because I don't want them to give out so much love and never receive any reciprocation. Because it will hurt if you, if you pour out your love for someone and they never receive it. They never reciprocate it. it. It hurts that way. So there are times I feel like in my relationship with God, like I just want to, like, God, do you understand? Like, we can't reciprocate the love like this. Like, I, it's kind of like almost groupy. Like, like, like are, are you sure you're going to love people who don't even really Love you back the way you deserve to be loved back, God. I mean, it's kind of a little groupy. You can take it a step farther. And the Bible even says that, do you know God watches over you while you sleep? You're sleeping tonight. He's watching you. That's groupy on a whole nother level, right? <laughs> God, you, you got to stop that. You can't do that. You, you, you can't love people who are just not going to love you back. And I wonder, maybe you guys struggle like I do where, have you ever done something so stupid and then you, you tell God, like, God, I'm not going to do that again. Like, I, know, I know that that was sin. I know it's not what you wanted me to do. I know it, it hurts people. I, I, I know it's not right, God, and I'm so sorry. I'm never going to do that again. In fact, I'm going to change my ways. I'm going to look more like the way you want me to look. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to behave more. I'm going to go to church more. I'm going to turn things around. And then, and then two weeks later... You wake up with all sorts of regret because you didn't just do it again, but you did it again and then some more. And, and you're just weighed down by all this regret. And then here God shows up. And his grace and his mercy and his love comes in the room. I wonder if you're like me. And somebody's like, God, you, you can't keep doing this. You, you can't keep loving me like this. You can't forgive me like this. I, I told you I wasn't going to do this, and then I went and did it again. I mean, I, I told you I was going to behave and stop acting this way, and, and I keep failing. God, I, I can't hold up my end of the deal. You got like, I'm going to fix myself, God. I'm going to get better, and, and then, then you can love me. But, but I just can't keep doing this. I feel like the reason I do that is because Every other relationship I have on this planet revolves around an agreement. That you hold up your end of the deal and I will hold up my end of the deal. That, 
that somehow, like, if I can keep doing my side of the job, then I deserve to be loved, and, and you keep doing your side of the job. And I feel like I tried to relate that to Jesus. I tried to relate that to my God, and I'm like, I don't know. I just, I can't keep holding it up. And, but the truth is, our God shows us something so powerful that sometimes it's so hard to get into our thick heads, and that's that our God's love needs no reciprocation. That it was never the point that you would just receive and reciprocate God's love. The reason that God loves you is because he loves you. The reason that God loves you is because you're his child and he cares for you and he created you. You know that God does not show love and he does not feel love and he does not act on love. God is the personification of love. Therefore, he cannot act out of consistency with his character. So what God does is he just loves you. And he just loves you, and he just loves you. And that's so hard sometimes for us to understand in a world where we have to, we have to reciprocate everywhere else. And that's why Peter, that's why he responded to the way, the way he did when Jesus blessed him. God poured out fish into Peter's boat, and with a boat full of fish, Peter could have responded so many different ways, but the way he responded was, uh, Jesus, you need to get away from me. You need to go away. I'm a sinful man. In other words, I can't, I, I can't live up to you blessing me the way you're blessing me. I can't hold up my side of the deal. I, I can't live good enough for you to favor me the way you're favoring me. I can't keep doing this. I'm going to fail over and over again. So you need to get away from me. But that was never the point. God never chose to love you so that you would reciprocate love. He loves you because he loves you. He loves you because he is love and he is so in love with you that you can't disqualify yourself by saying, well, I'm a sinful person in a sinful system. He's saying, yeah, I so love the sinful people in the sinful systems because I can come rescue them and I can love them even when they can't do anything for me. Do you know your God loves you so much? It's something that we sing as kids that sometimes we walk away from and we forget the actual point of when we live a little bit more life and we get hurt by a few more people and we have people walk away from relationships because we fail in them that we think God is going to walk away from the relationship as well, but he never will. He loves you so much. And God knows that we're confused by this, so he tries to break it down so simple for us. He says, I'm going to define love for you so you understand what love is, so you can walk secure and know it. So he tells us here in 1 John 4, he says, this is love. He is about to define love for us, but, but first he's going to tell us what it's not. He says, this is love, not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That love, brothers and sisters, is not that you and I love him, but love is when we understand how much he loves us. You can never do enough and be enough and act, act right enough in order to deserve his love. He loves you because he loves you. And because he loves us, the Bible says that for those of us that are in a relationship with him, there is therefore no more condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. So when God looks at us, there's no more condemnation for us. There's no more guilt for us, no more shame for us, because those of us that have a relationship with him, Jesus has appeased the wrath of God. He already paid the price for our sins. 
There's no more anger coming from heaven. There's no more wrath coming from heaven. It's all simply God's love for us. I wonder, do you believe that that God would ever frown at his son Jesus? Has God ever frowned at Jesus? Yet the Bible says that those of us who have a relationship with him, we're in him. So when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. He sees the perfection and the majesty and the glory of his son Jesus when he looks at you. He doesn't see guilt and shame because Jesus already took that to the cross. What he sees is the perfection of his son in you. He loves you so much. He said, yeah, but I failed over and over and over again, and you will fail again. And you know what? Jesus loves the sinful people of the world so much. It's a hard thing for me to get a hold of. So I've been wrestling with this. Ever since I first heard this teaching, I've been wrestling with it. And and to be honest, I tried it. It was was a little embarrassing. I want to recommend to you that you try this too. Maybe not in front of other Christian people. You say this in front of other Christian people, they might think you're crazy, right? But I want to recommend that you try this too because I started praying the way that Mary and Martha wrote their note. Because Mary and Martha said, Jesus, it's the one that you love that needs you right now. It's the one that you love is sick. So uh, I had a little time where I needed to pray, and I was wrestling with the love of God, and he was just uh, instilling on me more and more his love for us. And it's not about my actions towards him. It's about his love for me. So I did it. I, uh, I said, Jesus, it's me. It's Dan, the one you love. I threw that one out there to try it. I'll tell you what, it felt so good, I've never stopped ever since. It's me, Jesus. Yeah, it's Dan, the one you love. I'm your favorite, remember? So my back's hurting a little bit today. So since I'm your favorite, you know, I'll just let you heal my back because I'm the one you love. And I know you don't want me walking through the world with pain. And and you know what? It's me again, your favorite again, in case you forgot. It's me. I'm the one you love. And my finances are struggling right now. So I'm going to just go ahead and let you uh, supply all my needs according to your glorious riches because I am the one you love. I tell you, it changes the way that we talk to our God when we start to recognize that our relationship with him has never been based off of what you and I can do. It's always been based off of his love for us. I want to encourage you to stand to your feet with me today because I'm here to tell you today, I believe that there are some of you that you got out of bed and you needed to hear this today. You are the one he loves. You are the one he loves. You are the one he loves. There are hearts right now that I feel your flesh is causing you to try to harden your heart in here that, no, this is for someone else. You don't know what I did. He knows exactly what you did, and he loves you. You are the one he loves. If you feel the wrestling, the word is for you. You are the one he loves. He loves you. He loves you. That love will never change. It's not based on your actions. It's based on his goodness and his righteousness and what he's done for you. I, I feel like the best way that you and I can end a service in talking about the love of God is by declaring that love of God over ourselves. So here in just a moment, we're going to sing a song about God's love, that there's one thing that remains, and it's his love. But before we do that, I want to offer an opportunity for any person in this room that you've never submitted yourself to the love of Jesus. You've been trying to do religion. 
You've been trying to think, if I can just act good enough, go to church enough, do enough right things, then I'll be good. And Jesus came to say, that will never work. I will do it all so that you can just rest in the fact that I love you. So if we put him as our Lord and Savior right now, he can change your destination. He can change your life. He did it because he loves you. He did it because he so loves you. So right now, I want to offer an opportunity that I'm going to pray a prayer and and I'm going to ask every person in this room to repeat this prayer with me. And what we're doing is for any one of us in this room that have never asked Jesus to be our Lord and Savior and submitted ourselves to his love, we're going to just put ourselves right in line with him and receive that love today. And then we're going to sing this song together. So would you bow your heads with me? Dear Jesus, thank you for your love. I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. I believe that you died for me and you rose again to give me a home forever in heaven. So please forgive me of my sins. Give me a home in heaven and be my Lord and Savior. Today I receive the love that you so graciously give me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, we want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can do that right now. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord, that you died on the cross for my sins, and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my Savior, to guide my life, and to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in your precious Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. If you just prayed this prayer for the first time, or if you need prayer, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY or at prayer at fellowshipgj.com. Thanks again, and we hope to see you next week.